Hello and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Thank you for joining me on this sports podcast. Got a great show for you this week. Our guest is Brandon Marcus, my good buddy, host of the Hoopball Clips podcast. We preview the World Series between the LA Dodgers and Tampa Bay Rays. That starts tonight. The fall classic is set. Both teams needed dramatic game seven victories to get there. We break all that down and also talk about week six in the NFL, where we are with football. As well as Doc Emmerich, we pay our respects to the legendary broadcaster who's retiring after 50 years of calling hockey. Before we get into the show, just wanted to quickly shout out some players, some athletes rather, that had some great, great weekends as well. Tiafima Lopez unified all four lightweight belts, beating Lomachenko in boxing this week. An incredible accomplishment for him, incredible fight there. Brian T-City Ortega beat the Korean Zombie as well in UFC's Fight Island. So I wanted to shout those guys out first. And also belated shout out to Rafael Nadal, 13 French Open titles, simply the best, tying Roger Federer for the most majors ever. We're going to get to the show now with Brandon Marcus, talking football, talking World Series, the legendary, the legendary Doc Emmerich. It's the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, back on the Money Mitch Effect. A good friend of mine. Been a while since we've chatted. Lots changed and happened in the sports world. Brandon Marcus, host of the Hoopball Clips podcast. Brandon, thanks for joining the show. Mitch, always good to be back. It's been a while, man. I think it's been at least, what, four or five months at, at the very least. It's been a while. Time is uh, a flat circle, as some would say right now. There's been a lot yeah. of sports titles awarded, too. <laughs> a lot has happened uh, out of the ordinary, obviously, in this year. You know, we we had planned on talking about you know maybe last week doing something. It works out well with the World Series coming up, Brandon. But the other thing too is uh, the timing of today. I, I wanted to get your thoughts. I have a few of my own on uh, the retiring legend Doc Emmerich retiring from play by play. With your background, I mean, we've talked about him. I'm a diehard. I know you're a casual hockey fan yourself, but we both have. Admiration and adulation for a guy that is one of the best, if not the best, in any sport to ever grace a microphone. Yeah, his voice is just iconic. I mean, you don't watch Olympic hockey without his voice being there. And Stanley Cups, I think it was 22 different Stanley Cups that he called. Mm -hmm. Um, NBCSN tweeted out a great video. It was about five minutes, just basically a Doc Emmerich essay that he decided to do as his farewell and he it went through his career and just the graciousness that he had to the fans and just to the profession itself. And he appreciated where he was. And man, I mean, I think they said that he had a hundred different verbs for passing and scoring is just, I mean, that's as someone who does play by play and tries to vary up the verbiage that you use. It's not easy. And to get a hundred different ways of saying something, I mean, he says ladles when he's trying to talk about passing. I mean, where the hell do you think of this stuff? He's a genius. He, he's a hockey genius. And when you look at the different sports, I think you can safely say that he is the top broadcaster of hockey in our generation. Well, he's got 50 years. He's right with Bob Miller, by the way. Bob Miller's there from the in the L.A. Yeah. area. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those two. 50 years of covering the NHL, uh, retiring at age 74, which, you know, like a lot of things, it wasn't going to last forever, much like Bob Miller. Like, he wants to go out when he goes out. It's unfortunate that he didn't have the last Stanley Cup in an arena, that it was at home in a a setup that NBC Sports 
set up for him. You know, I have a lot to say about, about Doc Emmerich, but I come back to what everybody else has said about him, what his peers have said. You mentioned him being the best. People outside of hockey, I've, met, I've heard Joe Buck say that he couldn't do what Doc Emmerich does. Other elite-level broadcasters say that guy is incredible. You know, it's like an athlete that gets the respect of his peers. But also, you know, B-Mark, he just has so much so much warmth about him. I mean, that's the first thing, as crazy as it is, that I think about is everybody that's interacted with him just starts off saying what a great guy he is. You know, all the great stories about how he was not just a play-by-play guy, he was an ambassador for the game. There was a story about two guys um, in, I think, the Boston area. I might get this wrong. But they just bumped into Doc Emmerich outside uh, the arena didn't really know who he was at first, realized who he was, and he just kind of gave him on like a little private tour of the arena's history. You know, this is what you got to check out. This is what happened here. Just stories like that that really put into perspective what he's meant to a lot of hockey fans, a lot of hockey players, and people that, you know, grew up watching him call games, listening to him, you know, perfect his craft. And I think the way he does it, how he is a wordsmith, as you said, and how he just Every day had fun going to the rink. I think that's something that, regardless of whether you're a diehard or whether you just watch hockey casually or maybe because of him, you got the sense that he enjoyed what he did. He loved he loved going to the rink, and he loved being a part of the game. And, and it is sad that things can't last forever, but I'm glad that he's able to go out on his own terms with all his faculties there. He didn't let the game pass him by. I still thought he was just as good last year as he was at any year. So I'm, I'm sad to see him go. We'll always appreciate him in the hockey community, but uh, it was quite a run and quite a legacy he's going to leave. Yeah, he went out on top, no doubt about that. And it, it sucks that, like you said, his final year is calling games from home. And I bet you that was part of it, um, that he just didn't want to deal with the uncertainty, I'm guessing, going forward. Yeah. Um, so now is the time to kind of get out and say goodbye and you mentioned the stories that um, everybody seems to have one i mean i saw someone on twitter that posted something that they sent a pittsburgh pirates mask to doc and he ended up sending 25 dollars and a very nice note back and saying give the 25 dollars to the person who created the mask it's like wow. things that you didn't need to do and then there's the big story of they're the female hockey broadcaster that went through i think it was i think it was hockey right am i there is a sport that there's a female that just took over. It may have been baseball. And okay. either way, he was with this woman throughout her entire path as she became the broadcaster that she is today. And he just is so selfless and yeah. uh, a legend. I mean, you yeah. you watch volleyball during the Olympics because he was broadcasting. Oh, he it. called water polo, too. I remember yeah. that as well. Unbelievable. Uh- Today he said at his press conference, he, he said, any because his answers were long, he said, anybody on the virtual Zoom conference whose uh, questions I didn't answer, here's my email, send it to me, I'll answer them. I mean, that's yeah. just the kind of guy he is. Uh, so I'm going to miss him for sure. I know uh, certain local markets, the Devils, he spent a lot of time there, the Flyers for a little bit as well. Uh, someone that worked his way up, rode buses in the minor leagues, wasn't just handed anything, you know, and, and really had to had to work his way up to being the best. How he, how he was able to call action. I mean, being involved in the game for as long as I have, I don't know how he comes up with some of the stuff he does. Calling the handshake line, the drama that that captures every year, and uh, also mixing in humor, too. He was a total package as a uh, professional, also as a person. So I wanted to, wanted to pay tribute to Doc. I know you'd appreciate that as well. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, it, it caught me by surprise that he was retiring when I saw that today. But if you haven't gotten a chance to... Uh 
to watch the video, anybody that's listening, then you should do it because they did a really nice job with that essay of him saying so long. He's going to be still doing some video essay work, so there'll be some Doc Emmerich in our lives when we when we need it. So that's good. But uh, you know, with him and his, hope he enjoys retirement, Mike Doc Emmerich. Uh, B Mark now switching sports. I do want to get to baseball. Up until yesterday, you know, up until Saturday, really, we we had a bunch of different outcomes and possible matchups for this World Series. We thought it was looking one way. There was a comeback, not the 3-0 comeback, as the Rays did win their Game 7, but the Dodgers come all the way back from 3-1. So now we have the two teams that have won, the two cities that have won sports championships most recently, (laughs) fighting for the World Series. How surprised were you, B-Mark, that we came to this outcome, given what the weekend looked like and what we had in store down the stretch in the championship series? Very, very surprised. Um, I am surprised the Dodgers came back from down 3-1. I knew they had it in them. But just based on the way the pitching kind of lined up going forward after game four, once Kershaw was used, it didn't seem to really benefit them when you had Freed going in six and Ian Anderson going in seven. So the Braves had legit starters. Well, the Dodgers were busy starting Dustin May, it seemed like, every couple games for one inning. So it, it does surprise me. And the Dodgers really were having trouble with timely hitting. And frankly, the Braves should have won that game. I mean, they had second and third with nobody out, didn't score. In the first inning, they scored a run and had first and second nobody out and did not score. So they waste their opportunities, and you don't get away with those things in the playoffs. You, you yeah. just don't. The Rays did for the first couple of games in the series, and then you saw Houston win the next three games because the Rays were not capitalizing with runners in scoring position, and Houston took the next three, but the Rays finally got that game that they needed in Game 7. And, and the Rays are a team where you look at their lineup, and it's not very good. I mean, just in terms of names that stand right. out. I mean, Randy Rosarena is a guy that is not someone that anybody <laughs> yeah. knows who he is. I mean, I guarantee you that people that tune into the World Series are going to hear his name and say, who? They're not going to have any idea who he is. They're going to be Dodgers fans, I guarantee you, that <laughs> well, no idea yeah. who that guy is. And he's led the Rays to this point. I mean, he has become Babe Ruth in the playoffs. I, I want to spend a moment on a Rosarania because other than maybe St. Louis fans, they might, they might know who he is because they're like, why do we trade that guy away? Yeah. Uh, the Cuban prospect that's still, I mean, 24, 25 ish. I think he's not super young to the point where it's like, wow, this guy just burst onto the scene. He's been around a little bit, but a rookie seven home runs in the playoffs. That's the record. I think already hits the one in game seven, gets them going I mean, their manager basically said, we're all in awe of him, just what he's been doing. It's just insane. They know this isn't normal. I think the 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 bigger surprise for me was that the Dodgers came back from 3-1, not that the Rays necessarily held off, because that was, you know, one game, anything could happen. It's still tough to beat a team four, teams in, four times in a row. B. Mark, I'm with you. I knew the Dodgers had this ability that they could pull this off, but it was nice to see them actually play some of those hitters play with a little grit with a little dirt under their nails so to speak because they were a team that has coasted on talent for a long time and a lot of these players that kind of assume that this pennant will just be handed to them finally did as I think Kike Hernandez said face some adversity so it was nice to see that they battled back and I do agree game seven probably wasn't a game they should have won but that they were able to pull it out speaks volumes to their character yeah, no doubt. And they've been there before. You know, this there's a reason why they keep making it to the World Series. Now the question is, can they actually win in the World Series? Mm-hmm. Because the issue with the Dodgers so far this postseason, apart from that one amazing first inning where they scored, I think it was 11 runs, is that they haven't hit the ball. I mean, they've, they have not hit the ball, and they're going up against a raised staff 
That is very good. I mean, we are now no longer in the every single day we're going to have a game phase. That was crazy. (laughs) That was pretty intense. It it was nuts. And what it did was it killed pitching staff. And you had games that decide who's going to the World Series that became bullpen games. And Mitch, that's a weird way to kind of decide the World Series champion is to have a bunch of bullpen games. And now the Rays are going to be able to go with Glasnow, Snell, and Morton in their first three games and then bring back those three guys for five, six, and seven. So it's one thing that the Rays have a significant advantage because the Dodgers, their pitching staff has not been in the postseason, which is very weird considering that they were built for the postseason in the regular season. I mean, you look at these guys that are running out there, guys like Dustin May and Ross Stripling, they traded to Toronto. They had him as like a number six or number seven starter, and they had so many different guys they could throw out there. But now you go and you bring up Kershaw and his postseason struggles, and then you add the other guys that are going to be starting in Julio Urias, and then, of course, you have Dustin May and right. Walker Bueller, who was limited to four innings for a while and now finally has the training wheels off. But they're a team that has a good pitching staff. But the question is, can they actually perform now? They're going to be asked to go and give some length. Yeah, I saw a lot of uh, wishful Dodger fans, hopeless in a way, asking for Price to opt back in if it was possible. But uh, that <laughs> wasn't going to happen. Uh, and May, I mean, May going out there twice, I, I couldn't believe it the second time when he didn't really have command the first time and had that eventful first inning. Um, you, you touched it, didn't on some... sense. it didn't make sense. Yeah. And, and, and Dave Roberts would have been crucified if they lost that game for not starting Julio Arias and instead just going with Dustin May when you looked at Julio and he was ready to give you four or five innings if you yeah. if you yeah and that's what I'm going back to game seven of 2017 now like I, I hate I, I don't really agree with these plans of like well it's just the first let's just throw out yeah. anybody and get through one inning it's like no it's it's a big game it's a game seven you put your best pitcher first at that point. I mean, that and you're facing the best yeah. three hitters in that first mm-hmm. inning. You want to have a guy that you trust. Yeah. Well, the Braves. I mean, no one's going to shed any tears for the Astros being out. Let's just be honest about that. They yeah. <laughs> they showed a lot of fight getting back into it, but you know, no one's really going to feel sorry for them. The Braves that that double play and that rundown that that was it. I mean, that play, that play may have cost them everything. Now I know baseball is a complex game, but that was a terrible mistake at the worst time. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. You don't get away with those types of things. I mean, the first and second, nobody out in the first. And then to have second and third, nobody out and get nothing out of it when you could have Acuna come up with mm-hmm. men on base. I mean, they just really yeah. screwed there. They, they had the opportunity, and base running is huge in the playoffs. And we're, we're going to find out now what the Rays are going to do against this Dodgers team because the Dodgers, like we said, they can pitch. Can they hit? Because if they can hit the Dodgers are going to have a really good chance at winning this series, but the Rays obviously have a very good pitching staff, and it's up to pitching and defense in these yeah. playoffs, and base running is right there next to it. With the Rays and the Dodgers, one of the first things people are going to bring up is the salary discrepancy, the Rays being the cheap team, the Dodgers one of the expensive teams, though their talent is for a lot of, uh, a lot of areas homegrown in a lot of respects. The thing I like best about the Rays' offense, we don't, they don't have a lot of names there, uh, is the fact that they do have interchangeable parts. I think 14 players started a game in the ALCS. So while you're not really relying on the heavies, and, and you can't even really compare them to the Dodgers heavies, B-Mark, I think what it does is give guys confidence that if they are called, if their number is called, they're not a fish out of water and they're not going to be stuck staring at the lights. So I think that's good. But 
but also they do have to hit better, hit more to contact. That's what the that's what the success story was this year. They really didn't do that in the playoffs. They relied on the long ball a lot in these two rounds, and I just would like to see them hit more to contact if they're going to have a chance to beat the Dodgers. And some of their best hitters during the regular season have been trash. I mean, Brandon Lau has been garbage during these po- during these playoffs, and he is a guy that has batted anywhere from one to four during the regular season. And then here he is now. He batted number two in their clinching game. But you have Manuel Margo, who moves up to the number one spot. Rosa Reina, like we've talked about. I mean, he hit over 300 in the series. But you look at the guys who started that game seven. They only had two guys that hit over 300 in the series. And it's really going to have to be a team effort with clutch hitting, base stealing. And a lot of the little things that you look at the money ball type teams. That's what the Rays do. I mean, the Rays do not have big sluggers for the most part. And Austin Meadows, who was outstanding last year, has been awful this year. He had COVID, and he's been terrible this entire season. Um, he hit under 100 in the last in the last round. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see what the Rays do because the one thing is that Kevin Cash has been brilliant when it comes to pulling the right strings, whether it's in the lineup, whether it's pinch hitting, or whether it's the bullpen. I mean, he's done a really good job of managing that bullpen. They have so many different arms they can go to, and of course those starters too. I think it's going to be a really low-scoring series because of how good the pitching staffs are and how the offense is going to struggle. Yeah, I do want to give a shout-out to my my boy Andy Diaz. We could have used him this year uh, in yeah, Cleveland. He's been but... good, man. I <laughs> know. It, it is. Definitely, definitely has been good. You mentioned the bullpen. Uh, the fact that Nick Anderson has been their guy, they go to the big man in, in any setting. Yeah, They have multiple players. Fairbanks, I think, led the team in saves. They are comfortable closing a game out with, with multiple options. So I think They were like that all year, too. too. Yeah, and it is unconventional, but it's worked, and that's on the manager, that's on the roster that they've assembled. Uh, it takes a lot, and maybe in a, in a way it's it's a good model for some teams to have, not throw it all on one guy. When we've seen what could happen with the uh, when the pressure gets to them, Glasnow going game one is going to be interesting, and uh, they do have Charlie Morton, who I think became I want to triple check this stack, but I'm pretty sure he became the first player to win three game sevens ever. I don't think that had ever been done before. Yeah, that, that's a pretty impressive stat. I mean, that that's unbelievable, and he's going to be going in game three, and that means that he would go in game seven as well. So it's Clutch. a guy, big <laughs> pitcher, and that's the one that you want to have, and. You talk about saves, and you look at this postseason, man, and they've had three different guys that have gotten saves already in Fairbanks, Castillo, and Anderson. And if you look at the regular season, it's even more. And they just have gone to whoever, whenever. Nick Anderson going to pitch the fourth inning or the ninth inning? I mean, usually that's a thing that will really mess with a guy when he doesn't know when he's going to come in. But these guys truly are ready to go whenever Kevin Cash calls on them. And if it's going to be in the early innings or it's going to be in the last inning, they're going to be there and they're going to perform. Brandon Marcus here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, I do want to turn my attention to the Dodgers. And it's it's a good problem to have, right, when you have so many bats in your lineup that you're just wondering who can take the wheel. We saw Bellinger bust out with the game-winning home run. Seager won the NLCS MVP, a a player that people (laughs) kind of forgot about how good he was being a little overshadowed. We know Mookie, and we also know that probably the pound-for-pound toughest hitter up there is Justin Turner, a guy that just brings it every game. The number of bats that they have has just been been incredible. And I look for, 
I look for much of the same. I, I don't think that they're going to change their approach up there. I think they're just going to trust what got them there and, and know that, you know, in, in a weird way, know that some players might go cold in this series, but they have enough bats to just eventually beat you to death. Yeah, I mean, Corey Seager was unbelievable in the last round. Whenever he was up, he was a threat to hit a home run. And even though Mookie Betts has not been unbelievable, he, he's still contributing. I mean, he doesn't have a home run this postseason, yeah. and but he's still hitting over 300, and he's contributing when he's needed. I mean, you look at a guy like Jock Peterson that was supposed to be traded to the Angels. and that he's guy, hitting- I don't understand his deal because he never shows up in the regular season, and then in October he becomes – a different player. He's Reggie Jackson all of a sudden. He's a great ball player, and he hits 375 in the postseason. And these guys are just really good. And Bellinger, a couple of years ago, was getting killed because he couldn't hit in the playoffs. And he's the one that hits the game-winning home run in Game 7. So uh, all these guys now have the experience of being in the playoffs. So it's not going to be something that basically scares them at all. And they're ready to go. I mean, this is a loaded Dodgers lineup from start to finish. I mean, you have the NL MVP from last year batting sixth in Bellinger. You have a guy in Chris Taylor batting ninth. I mean, they're they're loaded. And they yeah. get on base, and they're just a very good team. You have options, too. Taylor goes goes slow. They get they get the, the lesser players in Hernandez. In yeah. Will Smith contributing clutch, clutch hits that they've needed. So they are. They're incredibly deep. I think everybody understands. I mean, it doesn't take a diehard to figure out that your worries are on the other side. It's on the pitching. And I will say, looking at the Dodgers going into the playoffs, I thought bullpen was going to be a bigger issue than it was. Now it's turned out that maybe starting these games has kind of been the issue, which we which we alluded to. The back end of the bullpen's been fascinating. Uh, I don't know if Kenley Jansen ever gets that that main chance again, but it was good to see him, you know, finish what was that game five and get a chance to show that he's not completely washed up. But I don't think he's going to be the guy ever again. I'm not so sure of that, man. I think it's very possible that he's a guy that gets mm. the ball in the ninth inning in this series. I mean, who are you going to go to? Are you going to go to Gratterall? Are you going to go to Joe Kelly? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, what are the, what are the, uh, what are the, what's the potential of more, I guess, more two out, more long relief endings to games like we've seen. So I, I guess my, my counter to that would be, Maybe they just ride the hot hand from the seventh on. Yeah, and you look at what the Dodgers are going to do. I mean, they're going to go and they're going to throw Kershaw in game one, and they're probably going to go with uh, Bueller in game two. And Dustin May will get a full game, I'm guessing. And then you look at Julio Urias, he'll get a game as well. You would assume that those would be the four starters, um, just because Gonsolin was so bad when he started. But they may go back to him too. And you mentioned the starting, the starting pitching has been – off for the Dodgers, but you look at their actual starters, Mitch, Mm -hmm. their actual starters have been very good. I mean, Urias has an ERA of .56 in the postseason. He's given up one run in 16 innings. Kershaw, you can talk about Kershaw, and he had a really bad fifth inning, obviously, in game four. He's given up seven runs in 19 innings. His ERA is 3-3-2 in the postseason, and Bueller has been unbelievable as well. I mean, that's the Kershaw story, right? Like, it's not all his fault. He could pitch a little better, but... And it's always one inning. It's Mm -hmm. always one inning with Kershaw. I mean, he's brilliant for usually the first six, and it's the seventh that usually gets him against the Cardinals. But this team, it's really going to have to be the bullpen because we talk a lot about the Rays' bullpen, and it's going to have to be guys like Baez and Jansen and Gratterall and Trinan. Those four guys are going to have to be really good 
in the postseason in the playoff and rather in the World Series because if they're not then the, that's when the Rays are going to pounce and I understand that Urias is the game three starter and that's his role I just loved him obviously in game seven how he's pitched and yeah. uh, maybe this is just going back into what my team did when they were one successful but that Miller role you know that might be something that could be you know that weapon you know we've, we've seen teams do it but obviously you need him. It's a short rest situation for Bueller in game two. So if they can get to the bullpen, if they can get quality innings from their starters, the Dodgers are probably going to be looking tough. But I'm excited for this series because I like contrasting styles. I like different makes up, makeups of teams. And I think this could be a really good one. I'm, I'm expecting a long series. It's funny because I am too, by the way. Um, they're not as different as you think. I mean, the lineup obviously is different. I mean, right. the Dodgers are filled with sluggers while the Rays are not. But both teams have a few really good starters. They both have good bullpens. I mean, the Dodgers' bullpen was not a problem during the regular season. And you look now, and both teams have guys they can go to. And so they're they're both very good defensively. I mean, that's why the Rays were as good as they were against the Astros because of their defense. And for the Dodgers, just look at Bellinger and Betts and all the runs that they saved with robbing home runs um, and making great catches. I mean, defense is huge for both these teams. So they're not as different as you might think, but it should be a good series. And it's hard to predict, man. It really is hard to predict because, like you said, they're just they're different teams. But at the same time, they do have a lot of similarities. I'm going to go with Dodgers in six. Um, Rosarena is great. The team is, on the Rays is, is a tough, formidable foe. Don't like the fact that they strike out as much as they do. I think they led the league in strikeouts, and I think the Dodgers are just eventually going to wear them down. So I'll go Dodgers in six games. Yeah, I think that the Dodgers finally break through. Because um, if they don't, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're getting is, into Buffalo Bills closing. territory. Yeah, their window is closing. I mean, as, as young as their team is, you do have a window where you have guys. I mean, Mookie Betts is still in his prime, so people say the window's closing. That's a stupid thing to say. But you have starters that are locked in and they're healthy. That doesn't happen every year. Yeah. And so you're going to have guys that are eventually going to move on in your lineup as well. I mean, Bellinger's still young as well. They, it's funny because everyone talks about the Dodgers and how they basically paid their way to their starting lineup. That's not the case at all. If right. you look at what the Dodgers are throwing out there, um, every single night in their batting order. I mean, a lot of homegrown talents, talent. Seager is homegrown. Muncie is a guy that they got from, I believe, the A's uh, for nothing. Will Smith is homegrown. Bellinger yeah. is homegrown. Peterson. I mean, they have a lot of guys that are homegrown and they don't pay a million dollars, uh, millions and millions of dollars to like they did with bets. So, I don't know. I think that they've been there so often that this is not going to be something that... Um, worries them and scares them the spotlight while it might be the case for the Rays mm-hmm. but at the same time I mean, they do have that cloud hanging over them I mean the Dodgers do have that cloud and as a Clippers fan who has seen his team continually struggle yeah. whenever they've gotten the opportunity to get over the hump you just can't help but think that it's there for the Dodgers and the most annoying thing was their fans crying after uh, game four saying the series is over and now all of a sudden they're going to the World Series so We'll see. I think if it was the if it was the old Dodgers, I think they lose that series. But I think they win this one. The frustrating thing for me as a uh, somewhat small market fa- franchise isn't that the Dodgers. You know, they did an exceptional job 
getting all these players homegrown, as you said, it's that they're able to keep them all. <laughs> so that's where, and that's the system more than it is, you know, the market and everything uh, as it is. Eight years in a row winning the NL West, but for the first time you do in a while, you do feel like the Padres are kind of a contender built to challenge and, and be on the rise with a lot of young talent. So I, I agree. The window's not going to last forever. They got to win this one. I think they do, but we'll see. Uh, Brandon Marcus, Money Mitch Effect. I do want to talk a little football before we sign off here. Uh, we're what we're almost we're recording this while the second Monday night game. It's been kind of a, a a reoccurring thing, multiple games on Monday, some Tuesday in there. But we're almost six weeks into the season now, and we're starting to kind of see some trends, some teams emerge, and we're also starting to see a lot of terrible teams because I think there I counted nine. One or zero loss, zero win team so far. So there is a race to the bottom as much as there is to the top. Yeah, it's so bad. By the way, uh, one thing I noticed on Twitter today, and I want to get your take on it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were saying, "Oh, this is amazing! This doubleheader on Monday, this two o'clock football on the West Coast, and then you have Monday night football." Did we forget that three weeks ago these were the same people that were complaining about baseball being played during the day? And having games at one and two o'clock, I, yeah. I just don't understand. It's it's just that you like football more. Exactly, which, which, that's what it is. I mean, that that's what it is. The the baseball knock on a lot of things, which by the way, and the baseball thing that had been happening, I understand TV plays a part into this. But you had to play these games before there was before COVID. You play these games back to back to back to preserve the pitching and everything of that nature. I mean, it is it's what you said. It's just people like football more, which I understand. I'm in that yeah. camp. I like both sports, I like football a little more. But I, I don't have a problem with any sporting event taking place during the day. <laughs> yeah, give me give me sports all day. G- give me all day. I mean, I yeah. love the nine o'clock hockey when they had hockey in the morning. I mean, it's phenomenal. Give that to me all the day, all day. But back to football. Yeah, they're bad teams, man, and, and they're bad teams that have been bad and are staying bad. Which is, I mean, the Giants and obviously they lost Barkley, Washington. Uh, teams like the Falcons now and yeah. of course, the Jets. I mean, Bengals, cool. teams that have traditionally been bad and are not getting better, and the rest of the league is getting better, so they're just sucking. Well, I will say that the only the only break in bad teams, the only separation, would be a team like the Bengals that just drafted their franchise quarterback that have a lot of holes, but right. maybe you'd like to see something and hopefully Burrow not get hurt. There's that distinguish between a team like the Jets, which I cannot believe. Adam Gase still has a job. It's actually impressive at this point. It seems like I read something today that it really does seem like the only reason they're keeping him is because they keep losing. Yeah. The Browns were 0-16 not too long ago, and I'm telling you right now that team was terrible, but they could have won at least four of those games down to the last drive in certain cases. The Jets have lost by 20, I think, four times this year. Eight in the last two years. We haven't even gotten through half of this season. Yeah. But they, they are they are playing like the worst team of all time. Um, yeah, really but bad. but I do think that you know the disparity of the break shows that teams that have the talent understand that this is an odd season, take it you know serious, and are able to you know put their best foot forward. We've seen the teams at the top play a pretty high level ball, especially on the offensive side. Which I don't know if you realize this, but we're setting records on offense this year <laughs> across the yeah. league, all over the place. It's just like in uh, I mean, it's just like. In basketball, you saw high scores all over the place in the bubble. For some reason, defense is optional in these sports. And if I would have told you before the season started that the undefeated teams would be the Seahawks, the Titans, and the Steelers, I mean, yeah, that's crazy. crazy. And and the Seahawks look like the third best of those teams regular season wise. They just have the quarterback that's 
you know, incredible in Russell Wilson that just wills them to win almost <laughs> week in, week out. I, the Titans, I got it. I mean, not just because I hate Pittsburgh, but I'm going to start with the Titans because it's incredible that they are proven to be cons- this consistent. Tannehill gets the contract, I think, at about $11 million a year for uh, three or so years. And you're thinking, well, is this too much? Is that fair? What's the deal there? And, and he's proven. I mean, he's proven that he is a legit quarterback. He's one of the best in the league. Derrick Henry is the best running back in the league. And Mike Vrabel can flat out coach. I mean, this is a team that I am shocked to see how consistent they are. Thought they'd be good, thought they were on the right path, but they are just proving to be one of the, if not the best teams in the league. Yeah, and they play against the Steelers next game. So that, that'll be an outstanding game. I mean, that's the best game next Sunday is Steelers-Titans. And the Titans' schedule, though, hasn't been that difficult. I mean, they, they've beaten the Broncos by two, and that was when Goskowski finally hit a field goal. They barely beat the Jaguars, barely beat the Vikings. All three of those teams aren't very good. Um, but, yeah, they slaughtered the Bills, and they came back, and they won against the Titans, I mean the Texans, rather, yesterday. So they're winning when they need to, and I, I thought the Tannehill contract was terrible, but he's yeah. been really good, and Derrick Henry is just a machine, and nobody can stop him. Nobody can stop him. It was actually four years, about 20-plus mil. Uh, I want to get that right. But, you know, I, we all thought it was maybe terrible at the time. They were bridging yeah. the gap. They were interested in Brady a little bit, too, but – and he, he looks as good. Maybe that's just getting away from Adam Gase. But uh, yeah. <laughs> incredible stuff there. The Steelers, I'm still, I am still want to see them play against some better teams because, you know, obviously my Browns laid a complete egg on uh, Sunday. But the Steelers haven't really been tested by the elite, haven't played Baltimore yet. We'll see if they do play Kansas City. The other thing, too, that I want to point out is that some of these teams, I look at Kansas City, I look at Green Bay, who got just trounced by Tampa the other day, B-Mark, is that yeah. – they kind of know that they're good, and, and I and I wonder if they're just kind of not sleepwalking, but you know, not giving full effort and, and not really playing the regular season out like some of these other teams. Because we've seen this with Green Bay a lot recently, Kansas City last year too, where they've lost some games, and you're like, how do you lose to this team when you're that much more talented? I wonder if they're kind of just going through the motions a bit. Yeah, I mean, you just look at what Tampa Bay did to Green Bay, beating them by 28, and then the previous week losing to the bears. And I, I still will not believe the bears are good this entire season. They can go 15 and one. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, go their defense is good. I still don't think you're good. Yeah. Their defense is good, but dude, they're, they have no quarterback. They have no quarterback. Their running back. Isn't very good. I mean, they just don't have enough offensively and somehow they keep on winning. And I truly will go each week thinking they're not very good. So, but kudos to them. They, they're winning the games they need to win. They've beaten the Lions, who stink. They've beaten the Giants, who stink. The Falcons, who stink. And, and the Panthers are good, but and the Buccaneers are good. But their schedule will get harder at some point, and we'll see what they're actually made of. Yeah, that was a last-stand game for Tampa Bay in the sense of wanting to be like a legit contender. They wanted to show that they weren't just going to get beat two weeks in a row, and they came out with a defense. And Watching Brady still play at a high level is always going to be incredible at his age, but you start to get the sense that as long as he's not just throwing the ball, you know, into the defense's hands like Jameis did last year, he doesn't not, he doesn't need to be a barn burner with the, with that defense and with the running game that they've established. It's it's kind of nice to see Arians kind of dial it back a little bit from last year. I think Tampa Bay being conservative for their standards is going to help them. Yeah, Ronald Jones has been awesome. I mean, that's the key is that having a good running back to take the pressure off Brady because if you can pull your secondary back and know they're going to pass. I mean, Brady's going to get eaten alive. It's just one of those things where he isn't as young as he used to be. And we've seen him throw interception after interception at times when 
the game plan is to stop Brady. But when you have to honor the run, it makes things much more difficult. And I think it's going to be tough to figure out, honestly, which teams are good and which teams are bad because of what we started with, with how many bad teams there are. And every single time that we brought up a team in the last five to ten minutes, you look at their schedule, and they played three of those really shitty teams. So it's hard to figure out who actually is good, who actually is bad. And I think games like the one on Sunday with Steelers and Titans will find out who actually is the better team. The NFC West is that division I'm looking at where I think it's basically all bets are off because the only division with four quality teams, we'll see what happens tonight. Arizona's, you know, gotten out to an early lead as we record this, but the Niners have their issues with injuries, obviously, but they showed in the, in the game against the Rams, they're still going to be a tough beat, especially at home. The Seahawks are undefeated, have Russell Wilson playing amazing. The Rams have Aaron Donald, the defense that gets going and an offense with Sean McVay calling plays. That division is just going to be a gauntlet for these teams. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, three teams is likely from this division, but there's a very good chance that we could see three teams play in the playoffs. It's possible, and they, extended the, they expanded the playoffs. Let's not forget you're that. You're not getting multiple out of the NFC East either, so that's important to note. Yeah, no, you are getting one from the NFC East. You're getting two max from the NFC North, and you're probably going to get two max from the NFC South. Um, I mean, the Panthers have been decent, but... Who knows if that's going to continue? I mean, they, they don't have McCaffrey, so we'll see when they get him back how that changes things. But like you said, I mean, you really can make a case for any of the four teams in the NFC West. And we all rode off San Francisco after last week, and then they go and they beat the Rams. I mean, their offense was awful, and people were destroying Garoppolo, and they didn't have a run game. And all of a sudden now, they go and beat L.A. So it really is just a survival of the fittest in that division. That was great. I loved watching that game because you had both coaches who were the play callers basically keeping the quarterbacks to do the bare minimum. It was like a, it was like a kid in timeout. Like, you're only going to do this. Like, just sit there and just do what I tell you. <laughs> because I don't think Goff or Garoppolo will have the full trust of their coaches just yet. But right. we'll see. Um, 2003, I want to throw that year out because that's the last time the Browns beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. So, fun What do you think about the Browns? You think that uh, this isn't a legit team? Because between Chubb, obviously, is hurt. But when he was healthy, he and Hunt were a great one, too. And then the defense has been... Yeah. Well, legit team in what... Legit team in terms of, you know... Could be a mentioned, seven teams make the playoffs this year. And the schedule isn't quite as hard. So, I've had my lowered expectations. I had them at that seven range to start the season prediction-wise. It's really tough that they got full-out embarrassed in their two you know, big divisional matchups, the Ravens and the Steelers. I didn't think they were at that level, but it would, it would have been nice to see something better. It is good to have Stefanski there. Obviously, anything was an upgrade from Freddie Kitchens. I, I think that him being so run-heavy is going to help this team out. The Chubb injury is brutal. I mean, you can put Hunt back there. You can put multiple running backs back there, but they're not Nick Chubb. I think that goes without saying. And and Baker needs to be better. I do think he's a little banged up, but he needs to raise his level. I'm not ready to abandon him just yet, but I'd like to see a little more from him. The defense is, and then to answer your last point, B-Mark, the defense, great pass rush. Miles Garrett's amazing. They can get to the quarterback, but the secondary is weak. The linebackers are weak. So those are areas you'd like to see better. But this is a, I mean, I thought this was a 9-7, and seven, maybe 10-6 and six if the schedule breaks right team, and I'm sticking with that. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, they 
they have the talent. They always do. It's just about being the Browns, and I feel like they always just be the Browns. Yeah, you'd like to see them kind of change that. Um, you know, the win against the Colts was good because I, I actually do think the Colts are a solid team. Um, you know, they're they're uneven at times for sure. So it was good to see that the offense kind of found their groove there. Um, but yeah, they got to be run heavy. That's why losing Chubb was such a bad thing. And and I think that you know, the line is the is the last thing. The line has gotten a lot better. I like Bill Callahan as a line coach, and I think he's done some good things there. So, yeah, the division is tough, though. Of course, when we when we start to show some signs, the Steelers regain their form and the Ravens, you know. The Ravens are another fascinating team because they beat up on a lot of bad teams. I'm not sure how they stack against the game's elite. They also just kind of, you know, put it on cruise control in, like they did against the Eagles where I look over and they're, you know, having to hold them off a two-point conversion attempt for the tie. Very yeah, weird. and I also think Lamar Jackson's hurt. I, I think that there's got to be something going on there because he's not the same guy that he was, just numbers-wise. He's not putting up the same types of numbers. So uh, I'll I'll be interested to see how he progresses. He finally got a rushing touchdown yesterday, but they're they're I mean their defense is very very good. So that okay. that's going to win you ball games. Are we burying the Patriots yet, or are we going to wait a little bit for that? No, I think we okay. wait just because they're still in the uh, look. Look what division they're in, man. Neither. Yeah, the Bills losing today to the Chiefs really did kind of hurt the the chance to separate some distance. But it wasn't good. I know they dealt with the COVID stuff, uh, not really being able to practice. But Cam did not look good, and I actually thought the defense has played well, relatively well, the last couple of weeks. I mean creating turnovers they did well against Mahomes they just didn't get any offensive support so I'm more alarmed on the sense that they're wasting some good defensive performances and they're just not getting much of anything from that offense yeah that's this league's a crapshoot dude <laughs> it, it really is one of those things where you have no idea I mean you could look right now I mean who who do you think are the top two teams in the AFC and the top two teams in the NFC I mean in in the NFC, would you say it's Seattle and Green Bay, Seattle and Tampa Bay? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think it is a crapshoot. It's a weirder year than most, and I think a good strategy is just still go with the quarterbacks, right? Tannehill elevated himself so you can put Tennessee with Mahomes at that level, um, but I'd probably still go Rodgers and Russ. You know, and, and Tampa is, is knocking for sure, and Breeze kind of people buried him. They need to, they need Michael Thomas. I think that's not breaking news, but I think the offense changes with him. So, yeah, it is a crapshoot, but you like to have confidence in a guy like Patrick Mahomes, guys like Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. So, um, yeah. those would yeah, be the Big guys. Ben's bad. Big Ben's not bad. I mean, they're 5-0, and oh, and Ben Roethlisberger does seem like he, he knows how to win games. So, you know, it's uh, he's been there, done that. So the Steelers and the Ravens, just it, it's similar. You look at the AFC North, and then you look at the NFC West, and – it really does seem like you could get three teams from both of those just because that you any given day, you feel like any of those teams could win. Absolutely. Uh, just glad that there's football. B, Mark, this was a pleasure. Uh, and as I let you go, just a reminder, we got the Big Ten this week, so that's what I'm gearing up for. Ohio State's oh. back. And I know the Pac-12's coming soon, so <laughs> we, got, we got college as well. Before you know it, the Pac-12 will be back in USC and Clay Helton. I'm sure he was enjoying uh, not having football and being destroyed uh, in the L.A. media. So we'll see how he does. I mean, I, I like Clay. He's a great guy. But uh, Week one, you know that deal. When it is and who it's against, you saw that, right? With, with week one, the Arizona State? 9 a.m. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 9 a.m. Local time. Let's go. Yeah. That is like welcome to the Hell's Kitchen right off the gate. 
Yeah, at home, a 9 a.m. game. It's just, it's so weird. I, I, you don't really think about it because you're you're watching the games and you don't think about what goes on behind the scenes. But all these games that are at 9 a.m. usually are East Coast games. So you look at the 9 a.m. and what time these players have to wake up and what time the personnel has to wake up that's yeah. going to be working these games. I mean, it's going to be the butt crack of dawn in L.A. Yeah, if you're playing in this game, I mean, coaches probably just aren't going to sleep. But if you're playing this game, you're up by five, and you're you know you're getting you're getting going really early. So yeah, and you're uh, gonna have teams that lose that because they're not awake. I mean, it really is going to be one of those things where they're just not awake, and it's going to be uh, most likely you would think the offenses will be asleep to start. So uh, first half under, uh, perhaps <laughs> in the Pac-12 9 a.m. games. It's yeah, crazy. it's like Pac-12, you know, it's still kind of after dark. It's at dawn, I guess, would be the best way to market this. But, oh, it'll be great. Uh, one way or the other, it'll be great. But, hey, Brandon, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you as always chatting. We'll see where we are next time we chat in the sports world. But uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Mitch. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Huge thanks again to Brandon Marcus for hopping on the show, talking a variety of sports topics, and make sure you check out his Hoopball Clips podcast, all things Clippers and the NBA. He talks with Cleveland Radio host Chris Fedor about why the Tyron Little hires can't miss for the Clippers, so make sure you check out his most recent episode there. You can subscribe, leave a rating or review to the Money Mitch Effect on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. The entire catalog is there. Make sure you check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page as well. And follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. We're going to try to have some more content this week. Some bonus content, MMA writing, MMA fighting writer Jose Youngs. My buddy is on Fight Island right now. It's been a nearly month-long stay that culminates with UFC 254 this Saturday. Justin Gaethje, the interim lightweight champion, challenging for the real thing with Khabib Nurmagomedov. I can't wait for that fight. It's going to be incredible. A lot of good fights on that card. We're going to try to talk to Jose this week uh, or next if we can't get him. We'll, we'll recap for sure. But that's it for today's show. Thanks again to Brandon Marcus. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. Until next time, this was the Money Mitch Effect. I am Mitch Michaels. Keep enjoying sports.